Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. All right. Hello, this is Eric in Oregon. I've been sober since December 21, 2009. Um, Excuse me, I've got a little congestion. I'll try to mute when I clear my throat. Um, And uh, I felt uh, for several months God nudging me to to, uh, be the speaker on the occasion of 100 months of sobriety, which I recently passed. And I haven't wanted to speak because of... uh, um, I've had a lot of trouble with anxiety and even some panic attacks, but uh, that's somewhat resolving itself, and so I bit the bullet, and here I am. Also, we've had such amazing speakers. I haven't wanted to speak, and that's not false humility. I uh, really felt uh, like I couldn't come close to these uh, uh, speakers we've had lately. And I mentioned that to a sponsor this morning, and he said, uh, well, if I'm competing, I'm going to lose, and if I'm doing what God wants, I'll win. I told him I was going to say that, so I did. So what it was like, um, I see my uh, addiction rooted in um, escapism and shoving under and numbing my feelings. I can remember wanting to walk through a doorway and leave the world and never come back when I was in, like, second or third grade. Um, My father was abusive, Um, you know, I've definitely heard stories of much worse abuse, Um, but it was there, Um, and some of the things I learned growing up were that uh, feelings aren't okay, Um, that good behavior and good performance earned love, and bad behavior and poor performance earned physical punishment, verbal punishment, and rejection. I learned what I wanted didn't matter, and what I wanted wasn't real and that I had no power to change things. And uh, when my brother showed me some pornography that my uh, dad had in a drawer, my uh, escapism went to another uh, level. And I went back to that pornography uh, often whenever I was alone in the house, and uh, that was pretty often because my brother was in sports, my parents both worked, and so I would always have time after school. Um, eventually it was found out that I was in, uh, had been in that drawer and uh, I got a, a lecture about responsibil- or about uh, respecting privacy, but there was no mention of the you know pornography or anything like that. And uh, you know so I learned there that it was wrong and we do it, but we don't talk about it. And uh, that just set a pattern for uh, shame, uh, but I still didn't care and went right back to it as soon as I could. Uh, get access again. And eventually my brother uh, got his own pornography, and so my access increased. Although um, I'm almost 57, and back then there wasn't as much access and things weren't as explicit. And so it was a period of years of 
searching for more explicit, more provocative things. Always in secret, always not wanting to be caught. Um, and one of the things I told myself was that at least I wasn't paying for it because I was using other people's stuff, so I wasn't supporting the industry. But uh, eventually I bought my own. Um, and at times I threw it away, and then eventually I would buy more. And you know, I would try to quit, uh, but I didn't realize that I uh, couldn't quit. Um, I got married, and uh, that surprise, surprise, didn't fix me. And you know, I knew that what I wanted was was the real thing, was something better. Uh, but I was settling for what I thought I could get. Um, my wife was an accountant. Uh, so she kept pretty close tabs on our money and the fear of being caught kept me from spending much and that I think thankfully <laughs> slowed down my addiction or the progress of it uh, but when I was on a um, business trip I would pad my spending my spending account um, started going to strip bars uh, getting videos and eventually when the internet came along uh, there was more and more access to more and more things I thought I would never pay for sex, but eventually I did that too. Um, I never got a promotion uh, in my work. I advanced, so to speak, generally by, well, <laughs> only by changing jobs. Um, I also uh, used video games and TV uh, to numb out, and even after getting some degree of you know, sobriety, uh, would watch TV shows all night long until you know I would, I would uh, get a season of some TV series. So it usually wasn't sexual, although things you know there were times, <laughs> and there were times when I really pursued the uh, you know things that would have um, provocative or nude images in them. But also TV just. As TV, I would watch all night long until the sun came up and then drag myself to work. And uh, I started sending people my way, though. And, you know, I don't know why, but he, to me, it feels like he dragged, drug me into this program. Um, you know, he didn't force me, but he kept nudging me and, you know, putting things in my path. A couple of guys spoke at uh, my church. I started going to adult children of alcoholics and there was a guy that came there and he would he would say I'm an adult child of alcoholics I'm also an alcoholic and a sexaholic and I thought wow that guy has a lot of guts I still think he has a lot of, had a lot of guts to to say that at a, another meeting like that um, and uh, I haven't I haven't done that although I've gone to AA meetings a few times um, I tried a couple of faith-based recovery groups I met regularly with my pastor. I saw, saw therapists individually and got marital counseling. Um, but none of that got me sober. I uh, eventually started going to sort of, I think of it as a generic recovery group that uh, we discussed multi, you know, different kinds of addiction, definitely the sexual addiction. Uh, but it wasn't as wasn't the same as an essay group. Excuse me a sec. Okay. Um, and I just couldn't do everything that all those sources were telling me to do. 
And so I, I would pick among, you know, the menus, as it were. Uh, and looking back, I realized I was still running my own recovery. And uh, the guy that led this generic group, who eventually became my sponsor, would tell me that, you know, what I needed to do is work the steps. And he was right. Um, and like I said, he became my sponsor. Uh, I did start working the steps. Uh, got a couple of years of, of sobriety, but I wasn't really sober. I was still doing all those things that talks about in obstacles to recovery. Um, uh, you know, teasing myself, but not to the point of orgasm, watching things with nudity, um, body parting. Uh, but slowly I got some progressive uh, victory over lust, a couple of years of sobriety, lost that. Um, and really felt that being an addict was the worst thing that could have happened to me, uh, just like it says in the in the big book, but turned out to be the best thing that happened to me because it did finally bring me to God. Uh, somewhere in there I moved out of the house for a while at my wife's uh, request, and I'll put that in quotes, uh, I moved back for a while, and I moved out again for what uh, turned out to be uh, permanent. And as I was working the steps, some of the things that I, I learned and hang on, hung on to um, was a verse in the Bible that said, God will restore the years the moth has eaten. And I'll refer to the Bible, but I won't do it in a theological fashion. And just that thought of God providing restoration um, and my sponsor would emphasize rigorous honesty and that uh, if I got a nickel too much back at the grocery market, I should give it back. I don't know why he said a nickel, not a penny, but he always said a nickel. Um, and that the poison I have in me that you know has to come out and everything that I thought I would take to gra- the grave uh, had to come out. And he would say that it was like he was at the end of a tunnel uh, saying, come on, it's great over here, uh, but I had to go through that tunnel. Um, and uh, I really stalled on my fourth step. It's uh, fairly common, but I don't recommend it. Uh, he would, uh, once a week or so, he would ask me how it was going, and I would make some excuses, and he would say, just work on it 15 minutes a day. And after a couple, you know, he said, just get out the pencil, get out the paper, um, he was real big on writing things out, not on the computer, but by hand, and I still I still ascribe to that. Um, and he said, if nothing comes out after 15 minutes, put it away again. And of course, nothing coming out was never the problem, but I still stalled. And after a couple months of that, he suggested that I do it for just five minutes a day. And it's really hard to make an excuse for not being able to do something for five minutes a day. So I started making some progress, and after a year or so, um, I was ready, I thought, to do my fifth step. And it took about, I think, three times uh, to uh, to really get the hang of it. And I would read a couple items, and uh, when it got to my part, he would start asking me some questions and uh, help me to see what my part was better, and then say, go back and dig a little deeper. And uh, after doing that two or three times, uh, I was able to to see it and and get through it. And uh, I really think that now I I view the steps as a way of progressively 
bringing the inside out and that the cure to that that shame was acceptance and here I was indeed saying all these things that I thought would I would take to the grave um, like paying for sex that I just can throw out there with my with people in the program now uh, without that shame and he still was talking to me and he still does talk to me even though he's not my sponsor anymore because he moved away anyway um, so where was I somewhere in there I lost my job and uh, I thought that was one of the worst things that could have happened to me and I was unemployed for about a year and uh, realized looking back on it that I really needed that for my recovery um, somewhere in there I also got divorced and again I thought that was one of the worst things that could have ever happened to me and was just crushed and looking back I realized I was very dependent on that relationship um, but uh, it was toxic and uh, now um, over 10 years later um, I wouldn't go back even if I could um, we have three kids together so we still interact at times still you know recently went to a birthday party for one of my kids together and uh, you know we can be civil <laughs> uh, when we're in uh, mixed company as it were uh, but uh, she's still toxic and uh, you know I, I she's not a person I can trust but apart from her I was able to get some real sobriety and some recovery and the divorce was hard on my sons of course and my oldest son didn't speak to me for years and uh, that was rough but um, I ended up doing some counseling with my two younger boys and uh, at one point in the counseling with the counselor and not me there so there was no pressure excuse me again uh, um, they both said that uh, they that they had forgiven me and had nothing against me uh, another thing that happened at one point is uh, I came across something where someone said you should ask people close to you what was one thing they would change about you and I asked all three of my sons that separately and they all said my anger and um, I hadn't thought of myself as an angry person but by that time in my program <laughs> I realized that I was and I was explosive you know, held it in and then blasted it out um, and a year later I asked them again and, and they said there wasn't a problem anymore um, also the this guy that I had met in adult children of alcoholics I quit going to that but I bumped into him in an essay meeting and he made the comment that he he thought I was the brother of that guy he had met years ago and anyone who's been in the program very long you know we I, you know, see this people come into the program and they're just you know beat up and <laughs> they're a mess and I was a mess and uh, I was still a mess at that point uh, but uh, looking back I you know I had definitely made progress and I'm still a mess but uh, I'm still making progress again somewhere in there just a little side note I was diagnosed with uh, ADD and depression and those are things that actually have been with me all my life but not diagnosed and medication for that has has been uh, uh, life-changing for me and part of my addiction certainly was was uh, self-medicating for that 
Um, I also, uh, it was fairly recent that I started having the anxiety and the panic attacks. And uh, I kind of saw that as my, my ability to feel my feelings had exceeded my ability to handle them. Um, and uh, been in counseling and on medication for that for a couple of years and just now I'm starting to cut back uh, on the medication for that. And it's been six months. I have some stuff that I take as needed. Um, if I'm feeling the anxiety coming on or even if I'm going into a situation which might provoke anxiety, recently had a job interview and didn't need that. Um, and, uh, you know, God is giving me the, the tools to handle uh, the stronger emotions and to, to really feel my emotions. Um, so uh, coming up to the, the present, um, I've also been feeling uh, nudged by God to have a period of abstinence. And uh, like everything else that's good for me or difficult, uh, I've been resisting that. And uh, my wife is going through some, some things of her own that would be benefited by a period of abstinence. And so I've seen this as something I was doing for her. And uh, we had a discussion about it last night. And uh, when she asked why I was being so resistant, <laughs> I told her the truth, which is that I'm selfish, that I want what I want, and I want it now. Uh, I want the rewards without the work. And, you know, I just want things to be easy. And that's my nature. Uh, but I don't have to live that way. And... Uh, we're already about a week into the abstinence, but but we hadn't really agreed to it, and I certainly hadn't committed to it. And last night I committed it to it, to her, and to God, to myself. And then I began to see uh, how much I needed it, um, that I need to uh, learn how to be touched and to touch non-sexually and that we've drifted apart and we need to reconnect emotionally and spiritually. And we actually started reading the sections on abstinence in Recovery Continues, and uh, that's been scary. <laughs> uh, it just feels like I'm putting myself out there too much and she's going to find out too much about me and she's not going to love me anymore. Uh, but truth is, this has been you know, uh, an amazing relationship and one that I didn't think would be possible. And since I didn't make it clear, I did get divorced and remarried. I guess I sort of made that clear. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so, um, you know, other things have happened. Um, I got, when I, um, after being unemployed for a year, I got a job as part of a three-person team and eventually got promoted to being the leader of that team and other positions got cut. So I was the team <laughs> um, for five years. I ran a statewide program and I could not have done that in my addiction. Um, and I got a different boss and he reassigned me to completely different work without asking me if I wanted it or not. And kind of messed up this program that I had created. And that really pissed me off. Uh, I have to tell you. Um, but in the end, uh, what I'm doing now, I actually like better. 
Um, I've bought, gotten noticed by the leader of our organization and by some of our state, uh, what do you call it, you know, senators and um, representatives. Um, so um, I could go on with other stories like that, but, um, you know, as the big book says, being an addict has turned out to be the best thing that happened to me. And I just don't know. I don't know what's good for me. And, uh, you know, life is just hard sometimes. And it isn't always hard. It's, there's um, a lot of great things about my life. About my, well, about my wife and about my life. And uh, last week I had a couple of days where I was just, happy and it was so weird <laughs> um, I have a lot more serenity now um, for sure and um, I have friends that I've had for over 10 years which is like double <laughs> the record of any length of friendship I've had before um, and I've been able to support them when they have cancer or marriage problems um, one of them has talked to me about erectile dysfunction for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's depth there that I haven't ever experienced before. Uh, I have this artist friend, which I think is really cool that this guy is making a living by being an artist. And his main thing that he desires is he writes graphic novels. And his latest one that he's working on right now features monarch butterflies, which... As a kid, I was just enamored by monarch butterflies. So it's, again, it's just this cool little god shot of a connection. And monarch, their caterpillars only eat this one plant, milkweed. And I started some milkweed plants for my house, and I'm going to give him some, and he's really excited about that. And, I don't know, it's just cool. Um, and God has shown me enough times that I don't know what's good for me, but I'm starting to get a little bit better when something bad happens, I realizing that bad is just my own interpretation and it's not God's, and that really the program is the easier and softer way. Um, I'm learning to express what I want, learning to take care of myself and that that's okay. Dabbled in things like airbrush and painting and carving. Um, I read Calvin and Hobbes now um, to kind of boost my joy. And, uh, yeah, um, it's not always easy, but it's better, better to be sober. And, uh, I guess that's what I've got. Thanks.